You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, 2020 finally ends with New Mutants at Palm Springs. Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and I am a demon bear in a time loop. And I'm Thomas Mariani. I'm just sitting here on my pizza pool floaty, just uh, contemplating the uselessness of existence. Well, kind of normal. Yeah, that's, that's, that's been 2020. Am I right? Hey, hey, hey. Well, I'll tip your waitresses. Try the veal. Yeah, right. <laughs> Have you heard about this? <laughs> <laughs> Have you lived 2020? Is that what's been going on? Ugh. But yeah, welcome everybody to the last episode of 2020. Um, it's been a wild year for a lot of things. Um, I'll say, Adam, not necessarily a bad year for the show. I like what we've done with the show this year. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Good year for the show. Everything else around outside the show has basically been shit. But a good year for the show. It's giving us more time to incubate and think about the show. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically. Uh, but but yeah, so uh, we do this every year. Where um, midway through the year and then at the very end of the year, we look back at movies that came out within the single year. And as we mentioned in our midway checkpoint, uh, weird year for movies, especially, uh, given that for most of the year, nobody was able to go to a theater. Um, and, uh, since we even did our check-in back, back in July, so much has happened. Like, I still remember during that episode, we were talking about how Disney Plus wasn't doing shit, and it was right before Hamilton came out, and before this Investor Day thing, and so much of this, like, big expansion for, uh, Disney going so close to, uh, streaming for, like, all their future content, um, they've announced that, and other studios have done that too. Um, it's been a big year for booming the uh, the streaming services. It has been a weird, wild year. Weird and wild. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been nuts, dude. Cinema has changed as we know it. I mean, we're watching it happen. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I know you haven't seen as much films from 2020, but did you see from what you could gather of what you've seen um, any kind of familiar threads, anything that uh, was uh, maybe a common recurring thing for the films you saw from this year? No, <laughs> I didn't watch enough. I really didn't watch that many. I tried, but it's just I, I did a lot of old hat viewing this year. Uh, just stuff that I know, stuff that makes me feel all safe and snuggly and comfortable. I can't imagine why you would need that safety net this year of all the years. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, no, I really didn't get to get to uh, catch too many this year. No. Well, I think for me, the sort of biggest trend, at least, is um, this will definitely be a thing whenever I do my like top 20 list I usually do for the MarianiThomas.wordpress.com blog I do. Um, it'll be a lot of, like, what is a movie at this point anymore? <laughs> plug. Plug. Of course, early plug, yes, <laughs> yeah. as I'll, I'll also get to later. But that's the thing, it's just, like, I've really just come to realize, like, what constitutes a movie 
has like really changed this year for me in terms of like oh it has to be 90 minutes long be in a theater have an oscar run at this point 2020 was just like that definition doesn't matter anymore baby <laughs> that's not a thing <laughs> who gives a fuck anymore and uh, yeah i guess in in retrospect that's not a bad sort of thing to go for um it made me at least more open to other interesting experiments that have been going on with uh, what's been released it's definitely sort of a like ah oh, fuck it you know what let's see how this goes with stuff like um I'll, I'll probably mention as we go along, but particularly like the Small Axe miniseries on Amazon, which is Steve McQueen's sort of uh, movie miniseries, where he put out five movies over the course of like in November and December that are all like based around um, sort of like people of the West Indian descent in the UK kind of trying to live their lives. And those are all like either two hours long or even just about an hour long. It's like, oh, they're all movies to me. Individual movies. Fuck it. Chaos. I dig the chaos, basically, at this point. Right on, man. Welcome to the club. Yes. It's all that's left anymore, man. Yes, yes. Just chaos. Uh, but we are talking about two specific movies that came out this year. Two films uh, that would basically qualify as features. Uh, they're over 90 minutes or so, and they could have played in theaters. One technically did, though most people didn't see it in that format. Uh, most people didn't yeah. even see it to be fair, uh, because we're talking about uh, two movies that we decided on at the end of our last episode, where there's a good and a bad feature that we picked uh, from choices given uh, to us, and so uh, we ended up with our good pick was uh, mine, which was Palm Springs, which is on Hulu currently, if you would like to watch it, and then the bad pick was Adam's, which was The New Mutants, which is on, I think you can like rent it or buy it or whatever, I don't know where it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, you could rent it or buy it on any, like, Prime or if you have Voodoo or things like that. Yes, yes. And before we go into either of these movies, we should mention uh, Spoilers Abound, because these are two very recent movies. And if you didn't see them, uh, they both have certain twists and turns you might not expect. Yep. So get your fucking earplugs ready, butt licks. <laughs> Thank you for downloading. Uh, but but <laughs> let's go ahead and get into our first feature then. Palm Springs. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. Good day so far? Today, tomorrow, it's all the same. You, what is going on? It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. Now what do we do? You just have to embrace the fact that nothing matters. Let's waste some time. Everything that we are doing is meaningless. I hope it's not all meaningless. There's a bomb in the cake. Don't worry. I used to be a bomb guy. Ah! Oh my god! It's gonna be a beautiful wedding. So uh, Palm Springs came out uh, July 10th, 2020, at least on streaming services. This did actually play at one of the few festivals that had physical people there at Sundance back in January. That was one of the few festivals that even happened this year. Um, and it was a pretty big seller. It holds the record currently for uh, the biggest sale for uh, Neon and Hulu, who ended up buying it, um, at uh, $17,500,069. The previous record was just uh, 69 cents lower. Yep. <laughs> Fucking dicks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but yes, yeah, so uh, this is uh, the film um, that stars Andy Samberg and... Uh, Christine Milioti. Uh Basically, the premise, if you don't know, is um, both of them are at a wedding. Uh, Andy Samberg is with his girlfriend, who things were kind of on the rocks with, and Christine Milioti is the uh, sister of the, the bride, 
who is kind of in a rut in her own way, but she notices Andy Samberg and sees that, hmm, he seems to have, like, all the right things to say, he doesn't seem to give a crap about what's going on, he seems kind of cool, to some degree, at least interesting, I want to follow him, um, and she ends up following him into the desert where they're about to have sex out there, and uh, all of a sudden he's attacked by somebody, and then he goes into a cave that's lighting up, and she's like, what's going on? And she follows him down that cave, even though he says, don't do it, and she wakes up the next day, and it's the beginning of that particular day. And she goes over to Andy Samberg, who reveals he's in the time loop because of that cave. And by following him into that cave, she is now in the time loop as well. And so it's very much a sort of a Groundhog Day, which has become a weird genre now. With, like, the Happy Death Day movies and Edge of Tomorrow, a few other things. Uh, but this one plays it more as, like, sort of a dramedy. Of sorts, more comedy even than the drama. But the drama's still kind of there. And this is one of my favorite movies of the year. But Adam, you hadn't seen it until I uh, picked it for the show. That's correct, and I watched it today. In fact, it ended about uh, two to three hours ago. I was aware of it uh, just from advertising. And uh, yeah, that's all I knew. I didn't even realize really what it was about. I thought it was like just a romantic comedy because I, I, I didn't really pay any attention to it. And then, uh, yeah, uh, because you recommended it, I watched it. And I will say it was a rousing good time. It is a very... Very, very good movie. Good to hear, good to hear. Yeah, I, I loved this back when it came out on, on Hulu. It feels sort of like, the main reason I picked it as one of my choices was because it kind of feels like a very appropriately 2020 movie in terms of being a time loop movie and things kind of keep repeating and you feel like you're kind of in a rut doing the exact same thing in one specific place over and over again. Uh, kind of felt relatable to some extent, even in July was, and it still is when I rewatched it just earlier today as well. And um, I think it just works so well because when you're doing the Groundhog Day thing, and especially when you're doing a comedy out of it that's mainly character-focused, it's like treading more specifically on that territory that Groundhog Day did so well. What I love about this movie is what having the new twist of it being two people, one being thrown into it after one's already lived through the time loop for so long, and two, just the actual sort of chemistry that builds between these two people I think feels really believable to where... Like, when we eventually get sort of, like, the romantic angles of it and stuff, it doesn't feel as forced as it could potentially be. Um, and I just think it's it's such a, like, really creative and fun comedy, despite a familiar premise, that I just never get bored with it. And it also helps that it's, like, Sandberg, who we all know from, like, Lonely Island, most of us love him for stuff like that, sure. or um, the pop star Never Stop, Never Stopping, Hot Rod, stuff like that. Um, but I think this is one of his better portrayals of, like, actually having a bit more of a humanity to his character and having a bit more nuance to his acting ability. And I've been a huge Christine Milioti fan ever since she got so pushed to the side in uh, How I Met Your Mother the last season, where she played the titular mother that was, like, so great. And then the last episode was like, and you're dead. Because he needs to fuck Kobe Smulders. <laughs> apparently um but i think she's a very underrated actress and i think she really shines here in particular if nothing else i hope this movie catapults her to like a bigger star status because she is so like down to earth and fun and engaging but has like a lot of actual depth to her character as well just those eyes are so soulful and beautiful i i really dug uh, in particular her turn in this yeah no i i completely agree um with everything you said i think it is inarguably andy sandberg's best performance I think he's absolutely fantastic, and he's funny, but he does have the sense of torture to him. You know, he's just given up on everything. Nothing else matters. He's just become a nihilist, basically. Super, super good in it, and I absolutely fell in love with her. I don't know if it's the eyes. I don't know if it is the sense of humor that she portrays, 
or whatever it is, but she is just phenomenal in this movie. And you really care about her plight and sort of what's going on. And when sort of the sort of bombshell drops about her character two thirds into it, or even halfway through, you just instantly, you're like, Oh no, like you just feel terrible for her. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I can't say enough about this movie and I fucking just love JK Simmons in it. Yes. As Roy. Right. Uh, he's fantastic. Peter Gallagher and, and the other person are great as the parents. I, I just, it, like you said, we've seen the the plot device happen before, but not with when it's two people. It, it's just, it's pretty spectacular. And I like the idea also that we kind of are basically invading a time loop movie that's already been happening with the Andy Samberg character. And you get the full sense that he's just lived so much of this. And that nihilism you're talking about, I think it does a really good job of kind of exploring how that can be kind of like something to embrace for a bit in the situation. But then how ultimately it just sort of turns into this, uh, like excuse to kind of like wallow in sort of self-pity after a certain point. I like the fact that it kind of confronts a nihilism that feels like, you know, it, it can be a real thing. I'm just like, what does existence matter? Blah, blah, blah. Nothing I do really affects the universe or whatever. And Christine Milioti being more about like, well, no, we have to like kind of advance and move forward. I don't want to be stuck in this rut forever of being in this exact same place in Palm Springs. And Palm Springs is kind of like the perfect place for it to take place. Because Palm Springs, if you don't know, is an actual place in California. It's a city that's mostly sort of like either a tourist attraction or in other parts of it just like endless miles of desert. It's just like it's either a few places where it's just like, oh, let's have like a quick stay here and have, make a quick buck off this like tourist trap or endless desert of nothing. And it feels like a very thematically appropriate place for the movie to take place. And even though it looks great, I love the way this movie is shot in particular. It's one of the few like really fun and visually engaging comedies I've seen, particularly in this year. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, everything's nice and bright and and fun and it's got really, they do really good camera effects with sort of the haze filter in certain parts. Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, this is probably the, my favorite comedy I've seen this year. I don't know how many other ones I've seen, but this is definitely like, if you were to ask, this would be the one I, I would name for sure. Like I said too, you know, it, you get truly invested in the characters in this too, like within a half hour, not even probably, well, yeah, with a half hour is when they're together and whatnot, I was totally on board. And, you know, in the very beginning, you want to see what's going on with Sandberg. You know, they it starts off with that great bit with the sex slash masturbation bit, which is so funny. It's really adult. It, it has a lot of sexual humor, a lot of language, a lot of drug humor and everything. But there's a sense of sort of childhood whimsy to a lot of it, too. It, it, it's really, really sort of masterfully done as far as how it blurs the lines between the drama, the comedy, the sci-fi, the everything aspects to it. it. It all just feels like one cohesive piece and not sort of different genres piecemealed together to make a movie. Like it all fits. It all works. It's very smartly written, very, very smartly directed, too. Max Barbacow is the director, and I love how he manages to utilize sort of like especially the different perspectives on this particular event. Like I love when she first realizes she's in the time loop, how we initially see it from Andy's perspective as she comes in and starts throwing the beers at him, and the other perspective of it, it's just subtle different like angles to get you right into the other character's perspective on the same event they're experiencing. I love the way that that's all utilized and also just manages to kind of get us a full 
grasp on this one environment in Palm Springs that they're at where they're in driving distance from like a dive bar and even like the little hotel slash wedding area where it's actually taking place and how everything looks and it's just like oh this is just pretty enough to be something that clearly they paid a lot of money to do but also it's like kind of cheap and kind of like run down to some extent when you see it from different angles I just I, I love how they really utilize the setting and all that stuff so it makes all the character stuff and all the comedy really work particularly it, it has all the like the great makings like you mentioned of like a really good sci-fi movie with the actual rules that are being established a comedy with just the chemistry between all the characters and even the wedding setting in particular and the drama of just being like you know you can have that like childish whimsy you're referring to that kind of childish fun of like nothing matters we're going to do whatever the hell we want but after a certain point that runs out that's empty ultimately and you're just gonna like if you want to keep existing in this continuous endless loop it's not really gonna benefit you that much well, yeah, no. I mean, you're ultimately just going to be alone, no matter what. Um, even when they find each other, you know, they they get sick and tired of each other, and she, you know, does what she does and just disappears on him, and then he goes down a spiral again. It's a really sort of dynamic character piece, uh, ultimately, where it it is a dramedy and it is sort of romantic comedy as well, but it's just more about two people sort of coming to terms with their own bullshit together. Um, and I love that neither of them are particularly great people. They both made fucking mistakes. They've both done pretty awful things really, but ultimately they're just people. They're infallible, you know, sort of people who got, you have to progress. You have to keep going or else ultimately what's the point of living. And, um, I think it's done pretty masterfully the way they sort of explain that or, or put that message across. Um, but then, like, some of the comedy bits are, are just so funny. Some of the comedy in this is just hilarious. The the scene with the plane, hilarious. Uh, you know, their, their dance routine in the middle of the dive bar all of a sudden, really fucking funny. But it's not too much all the time. It's, it's sparse throughout pretty good. You got that, you know, little sort of montage, 10-minute montage, if that, of them doing all this wacky, crazy shit because they know they can. And then the rest of it's just, like, sort of a... It's not necessarily slow pace, but like a think piece. And I think it works really well. Yeah, I think particularly um, they managed to do that with even some of, so many of the other characters. Like uh, you mentioned Peter Gallagher is the dad. That whole bit where he talks about having sex with various people is like, and your dad. <laughs> and that one, like, yeah. kind of, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, what are we doing? I don't know. <laughs> and I love, you know, Tyler Hoechlin. You know, from Road to Perdition or Superman now on the TV show as the fiance, you know, she confronts him, you know, we're pieces of shit. What we did is shitty. And he's like, I know, I know, I am a shitty person. Oh, God. (laughs) He's crying in the shower. Like, what a turd. (laughs) Is there a fucking fork in my face? (laughs) Yeah, right. Or my favorite, like, the smaller characters especially is one of the groomsmen is played by a guy named Connor O'Malley. He's the guy that's, like, like, tries to hit on her initially. We're just like, "Uh, because you drank a little bit more. And then later on, he's the guy who's, like, when the earthquake starts happening, he starts trying to take off his tie. He's just like, oh, my God, I never should have left the Great Lakes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't feel safe with him. Here. We should call the cops. <laughs> Such a pussy. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, yeah, I, I love the movie, and you know, all the little side characters, they they give them just enough personality to where they make them fun. Nobody feels really wasted, and everything is just forming around our two leads for the most part, and and it works. Like, I, none of it feels dry or boring or dull. 
Yeah, the two of them, uh, Meliadi and Sandbrook, had such a great chemistry with oh, stuff, like, yeah. even earlier on, even before any, like, the sci-fi stuff happens, when they're, like, seeing his girlfriend, which, shout out to Meredith Hanger, as uh, Misty, his girlfriend, uh-huh. is so funny in the movie, um, and they, like, see that she's having sex with the officiator of the wedding, Sandberg's like, oh my god, this is so weird, isn't it? It's fucked up. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's kind of hot, though. Don't you kiss me. Don't you tell me what to do. <laughs> like, they have such a great back and forth <laughs> throughout, like, stuff like that, or even as things uh, progress along, they feel so natural together. It's why you kind of forgive, like, you know, why it might seem a bit fast with, like, them coming together at a certain point. I've heard some people complain about that, but it's like, they feel like such a perfect pair that I don't necessarily care that it feels a bit fast and other time loop movies that can be a bit of a problem or other just romantic comedies in general but i think they just have this natural chemistry that never feels um like it's too forced yeah for sure or like when he rips his shirt off and she's like nice (laughs) 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 you wear underwear under your swimsuit yeah it doesn't anybody (laughs) it's so so dumb why is this guy wearing a cabana shirt who is this guy you know he gives that awful speech uh it's just yeah and you know you got june squib that pops up in here and she's really cute in the quick scene she's in the two scenes but like i said this is definitely one that i i I really want to rewatch and sort of like tell people like just you gotta try it you just gotta watch it i know it get you know it got sort of lost on hulu with all the other originals that come out and everything like that but this is definitely one that's worth seeking out to watch for sure yeah i'll say also hulu has had kind of a, a pretty big run with in terms of this is um not the first hulu original but i think their originals have been really consistently quite good this year between this there was also bad hair which i was a fan of the new justin simeon movie um, who did Dear White People. Books of Blood was crap. Well, yeah, I guess. Uh, but uh, there was also Run, the one with Sarah Paulson, um, where she's taking care of uh, her daughter who's, like, in a wheelchair. Um, I thought that was a really fun thriller. I think they've, they've done a pretty good job of at least, like, increasing their production of stuff uh, for films in particular that have been pretty good. Um, and even this, which was bought, I think it's a it's a pretty wise purchase. And especially, you were kind of talking about J.K. Simmons earlier as Roy, which we haven't talked about that much. It's such a fun, also, third character where it's like, oh, he's also in on the time loop, and he's a guy that Andy Samberg fucked over by doing this. I just love that he's an occasional threat. Like, he's lived this so long that he's not like, I'm not going to always go after Andy Samberg because it's kind of pointless at a certain point. But whenever I feel like I have an anger kind of inclination to do it, I'll try and murder him. <laughs> it's so fun. Oh. Especially the montage. So many great montages in this movie, but particularly the one of him getting tortured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> you said it was your favorite day. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. But it, also that he ultimately kind of has come to this conclusion already about despite that he's living this the whole time that like he's actually still trying to have some fun with his kids and his wife who aren't aware of everything that's going on he still is like trying to embrace what he can get out of this day as much as he can i love that element of it too yeah for sure uh, you know and i just yeah i love it's like every three to four days he, he decides he wants to hunt him <laughs> yeah. all right fine one more time side of the house makes a stand at the garbage can and shoots a point blank with an arrow in the chest <laughs> it's fucking insane They're, i love the way they party when they meet and stuff like it's so funny them sitting in the bathtub together just dying of laughter <laughs> like doing all these weird crazy drugs like it, it's just it was super super funny and i like also those clips that we get indicate sort of like you can see sandberg at different earlier points like when he first meets jakey simmons you can tell oh this is like the 
first of like two or three times he's probably done this and he's like freaking out and he's still in his tuxedo um you just get like a real like sort of history of him living all these days as you like kind of get these certain little flashback bits and even just how certain people spend their time like i love that christine miliani's just like okay after a certain point of having come with andy samberg and i want to get out of this what do i do oh i'll study quantum physics while i'm here <laughs> and test that out which is such a funny bit that's never really been done a, a time loop movie like this it totally makes sense. If you have all the time in the world, why not try to figure it out? Like, who gives a shit? Yeah, it was a really good bit. I, I love the, the sexual partners thing where he's explaining everybody has been noted that it is that bar lady. She's like, okay, if that's what you feel like doing. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. It's, Darla or whatever. Oh, yeah. Dale Dickey, one of my favorite character actresses out there. Also, yeah, she's uh, so good. Or the, the, my favorite one is the bartender lady that was just like, yeah, I hit that guy with this car. He never walked oh, again. No. And then he comes at that point. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if he could ever walk again. No! <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucked up. That part had me dying. That might have been one of my favorite quick little jokes. That, you know, okay, well, you can, you know, stop, I have to get ready, but you can watch me. And you know, okay, that's romantic. And she's just going, shit, shit. My, my grandmother's ring. <laughs> my dead grandma's ring isn't in the back. Shit, shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's really funny, dude. It's really smart. There's some juvenile humor, but then there's just some really smart humor to it, too. It's sort of a perfect mix. You know, from, I think most people would enjoy this movie at some level. Yeah, I would say so. I think especially, like, if you like the Lonely Island stuff, which I was like, I kind of, that, that was my SNL cast, was, like, around the Lonely Island days of that. And Sandberg became, like, oh, comedy god so much. But I like the fact that this is, it really feels like kind of Andy Sandberg dealing also with the sort of man-child Judd Apatow-style movie. And in this case, it's, like, literally living the same kind of lifestyle over and over again and kind of being in a rut is, like, him in this time loop. And him even kind of, you know, being confronted with the idea of, like, hey, we can get out of this. He's like, but this is, like, familiar, and I know what's going on here, as opposed to if I go into, the f like, a world where the future keeps happening, I don't know what'll happen. I, I don't remember my job. I don't remember a lot of things. I kind of, he's gotten so comfortable with this particular living that he's just like, I want to kind of stay, and I think that was a really smart way of also just kind of getting past, you know, familiar and actually getting out of your comfort zone. I think it's a really clever metaphor for that, too. It's one of the great examples of, like, here's a sci-fi premise, but really it's about a human conditional element to it. And it feels like, honestly, whenever quarantine finally starts to phase out, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people, maybe even myself, kind of have that, where it's like, but I like being in sweatpants and working from home. How can I go outside now? What do I do from here? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm longing to get out of the house, but at the same time, like, I don't know if I want to. Like, it's, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. I know at one point I have to reinsert to society, but at the same time, Eh, we can maybe wait a little longer on that. <laughs> Let's let this Pfizer take real hold on me. I don't know, guys. Maybe it's more than six weeks. Hold on. Hold on a second. Ugh. Let me relax on that. Let me go ahead and adjust the balls in the underwear net. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This elastic needs to be a bit looser, if you know what I mean, boys. Um... But yeah, <laughs> um, how do you think it especially sort of worked as like with all these different time loop movies that have come out recently, where do you think this works and sort of like actually doing something different with it? Do you feel like this kind of stands out as one of the better ones to come out post a Groundhog Day? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think what works about it is its simplicity. The whole movie isn't about them trying to get out of it or figure it out or anything. You know, there's a big solid chunk of it that they're just like, fuck it, we're just going to deal with it. And, it. and it really works. And I like that she goes and figures it off on her own. And then ultimately, you know, he doesn't want to go. 
uh, you know, he do, he ends up going, but he's probably lying to that guy and saying he's his dad. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny, too. I always knew. Um, there's, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, you know, it, it ultimately comes down to the, the last 20 minutes, really, is not even. The last 10 minutes is, okay, we got to get out of this. And she wants out and how is he going to go with her? And he's just afraid that if he goes, she won't be want to be with him anymore. And he also doesn't understand or doesn't, you know, he's afraid of what might be out there. And it just ultimately this world where nothing matters has become his perfect world because he's in charge of everything that happens to him. And, you know, the uncertainty of what might be out there for real is, is terrifying. And I mean, if that's not identifiable, then I don't know what the hell is. No, I just think it's very smartly done. It's it's got it's really funny. There's really good sort of romantic angle to it. The the drama really works when there is drama. Yeah, it, there there's more to it than meets the eye. It's very simple, but it's complex at the same time. So yeah, to me this is definitely one of the better ones. If not the best one post Groundhog Day. Yeah, I would say like and all the other ones have tried just kind of add like, oh, it's Groundhog Day but different genre trope. You said killer. But he's but he's living like an old alien war zone. What? The crazy. But yeah, I think this is the first one to actually kind of confront. Like, look, let's actually kind of do our own sort of twist on the romantic comedy angle that Harold Ramis and Bill Murray went for originally, and do it for a modern setting. I think they do a pretty good job. That even like. The point I was kind of worried about was when I was initially watching it was like when he admits like, no, I slept with you so many times after he previously said no. And she's like, oh, my God, I I can't believe you lied to me, you piece of shit. And I like the fact that she goes through like this entire arc of being self-sufficient and like doing the quantum mechanics and all this other stuff. Well, he's kind of like shitty and alone. He has his come to Jesus moment finally. Just like, look, I'm sorry. I'm a shithead. I shouldn't have done that to you. I was so terrible. And she just pauses and says like, thank you. Now come with me, and we're yeah. going to actually solve this. <laughs> right, it's that simple. You know, it's, yeah, I, I agree. That was a really good moment, too. I was a little sort of hesitant about where it was going to go as well. But I think they handled it perfectly. Yeah, but she's just, for sure. she's basically evolved beyond that particular point. And then it comes down to, I think, another, like, the, the climactic moment of this movie, I love so much, where he goes on the whole, like, sentence rant, where she's like, you have one sentence. And he, like, keeps saying, uh, ambersand, uh, colon. Dot, dot, dot. Ellipses. Those are ellipses. Oh, right, right. And then eventually she just says, that was a grammatical nightmare. But let's go. <laughs> it's really cute in a way that, like, it doesn't feel cloying. It feels just like it's a natural progression of this particular story. Yeah, for sure. I, I absolutely agree. Um, well, Adam, why don't we go into final thoughts then on uh, Palm Springs? What are your final thoughts on this uh, lovely little movie? I think it's exactly that. I think it's a lovely little movie. I think it's super cute. It's super endearing. Really smart. Great performances all around. Uh, like like we both said, you know, probably a never better Sandberg. Really shows he's got some chops. And she's just adorable. It, it's just, it's it's really, really fun. Really good. Uh, and like I said, I think there's something in here for most people. I mean, obviously, this isn't for kids. Like, kids could watch Groundhog Day uh, for the most part. But this, no, 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 no. This isn't for kids. It's raunchy, drug use, sex, everything. For adults and, you know, maybe teenagers, I, I'd be hard-pressed to find 
uh, somebody who doesn't get something out of it. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite movies of the year, obviously, given it was my choice. I don't know if it's number one quite. There's a few other contenders I'm kind of contemplating as I make out that list in my head. I really did love just especially like how it shows an evolution for Sandberg and also a lot of the Lonely Island guys produced this. They, and I think it shows an evolution for even all of them as uh, sort of going from very silly comedy to having a lot of silly comedy in here, but kind of progressing as creatives. I think does such an incredible job of that, but no discredit to the original writers and the director also who make this, like I said, comedy is such a like visually dead genre as of recent. Like that's been my biggest problem with a lot of streaming comedies is how much of them are just kind of like very plainly shot. Even like television comedies have just felt so visually stagnant over the last, like I'd say 10 years or so, especially as streaming has become more of a thing. And this is one of those ones where like, Oh, this is visually dynamic and it really works like with a sense of place and doesn't feel just like it's got the most basic lighting and camera setups it feels like it's an actual movie that really feels vibrant and fun um just on a visual level but then all the script stuff is really entertaining all the performers are really fun and yeah it's a it's a really interesting movie for especially this particular time i feel like if anyone were to ask me like hey what movie from 2020 kind of exemplified 2020 for you it's like this one this kind of really exemplified where it's just like you get into a nihilistic rut and you're kind of just living day to day with whatever, but then you come to a certain point of like, maybe I do need to progress beyond this and can we uh, get a vaccine? Let's do that. Come on, buddies. Come on. I know all you healthcare workers, you deserve it first, but come on. Us podcasters are like next in line, right? Next in line. Yep. yep. We're important, especially this year. Podcasting has been super. Important. We've entertained you all for these nine months. Come on. Get a vaccine, please. All 18 of you. <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure um but before we get to our next film here's another great podcast that's been entertaining you all this time uh from the eso network here at the cosmic pizza podcast we make every show from the finest ingredients juicy interviews fiery film lights delicious desert island dvds and pack it all into a slice of life in every episode. Order up our specials now from your delivery guys. Sean from Canada, Dan from Kent in the UK, and Paul from near Liverpool in the UK. Here on the ESO Network, the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, serving you a slice of life. Mmm. Okay, so let's get into our second feature, The New Mutants. What's the last thing you remember, Danny? He said we had to run. You're not alone. Not anymore. Do you know what mutants are? I saw something. I don't think she wanted me to see. So, The New Mutants um, is the 13th and final film in the X-Men franchise that's been going on since 2000. Uh, It's weird, this is a 20-year-long franchise, and it's an interesting end to it, to say the least. Uh, Did you figure when you watched X-Men 2000, this is where it would end at? (laughs) No. No, honestly, I didn't think it was going to go past X-Men 2, (laughs) to be honest. This is sort of an infamous movie. It was originally supposed to come out in 2018. I still remember the trailer came out, like, I think around Halloween 2017, 
when I was still on a horror-themed podcast, because this is kind of dwelling in the wells of horror, and we were watching the trailer, just like, oh, this could be good. And it was the, we didn't know we wouldn't see until long after I was even a part of the show. Um, and it's been delayed so many multiple times um, until eventually it got delayed so long, it had to wait until the studio got bought up by Disney. And it wasn't even released under Fox. It's another weird thing about this year. Seeing movies with the 20th Century Studios logo like this one, it feels just weird. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you know what was the last movie to have the original Fox logo? Uh, was it Dark Phoenix? No, it was this year. It was a movie that came out very early this year. Oh, I don't remember. What was it? it was Underwater. Oh, really? That was the last one? Huh? That was the last one with the 20th Century Fox logo on it. Good movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Adam, this was your pick, and I know it kind of got yes. dogged at the time when it did briefly come out in theaters, um, sort of in the midst of COVID, felt like it kind of got dumped out there, thrown to the wolves of COVID, um, making $46 million on a $70 million budget, which is more than I would have expected, to be fair. Um, yeah, for sure. Yes, but uh, this was your choice, though I don't think you chose this genuinely thinking it was a bad movie, perhaps. No, that's absolutely correct. I chose it because it's it's gotten the moniker of being a bad movie. In fact, like, you know... I've heard worst of the franchise. I've heard worse, you know, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I'm going to go ahead right now and say that is not accurate. This movie is, it's fine. It's fun. It's not the best of the franchise. I, I wouldn't say that, but it's definitely not the worst. Um, and I guess, you know, for brief synopsis, for those who don't know, New Mutants is about a team of, well, not really a team. It's about this group of kids who are all having their mutant power sort of come out like you, you figure like maybe puberty and stuff like that's happening to these kids so their mutant powers are starting to activate and they're all living at this sort of facility run by the scientist who tells, tells them you know we're here to sort of define your powers and figure out what they are and then you'll go from here to another place that will really you know help you become what you all you can be and blah 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 and uh shenanigans happen from there with this crazy cast of kids and it follows uh, Danny Moonstar, who is, uh, you know, Moonstar in the comics. And she's a Native American little girl who has these crazy powers where she makes her nightmares and other people's nightmares become a reality. Right, which, I mean, to be fair, isn't what's initially established in sort of like the opening bit where her dad, Adam Beach, tries to, like, take her away from her house. Of course it's Adam Beach. Oh, yeah, true. fucking <laughs> God, you need a Native American movie, it's Adam Beach. I mean, look, look, he was slipped out. He could climb anything, Adam. There's nothing he can't climb. <laughs> oh, God. His head doesn't explode this time. He just gets swallowed up by the tornado demon bear thing. That's a factor in this movie. What about you? What are your first thoughts on The New Mutants? Right, yeah. Coming to it's interesting because, as I mentioned, it's kind of become a joke of a movie. There was so long where it's like New Mutants doesn't exist. It hasn't really been released. All the like stuff came out about, like, oh, hey, we're going to do reshoots, but they never actually did the reshoots. And, like, Maisie Williams was even like, I don't even know what the fuck's happening um, with this movie. And so it just became like this running joke on the internet for a certain point. And then it finally did come out and I didn't see it in theaters. I didn't see it until we were going to do it for the show. I kind of have been uh, saving it. And yeah, I think it's fine. I, I would definitely say like, it's nowhere near as bad as some of the lower tier ones in the X-Men movies. Like it's nowhere near as bad as like X-Men Apocalypse or Dark Phoenix or like X-Men Origins Wolverine, some of those. The one I would probably compare it the most to of that franchise, it wouldn't be any of the bigger, better ones like Logan or X2 or some of those others. I would say probably The Wolverine is what I'd compare it to. Yeah. 
which is to say, I really like the first two thirds of him and just kind of shits the bed with a bad superhero ending. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I mean, either that or even like first class. I like first class slightly. Well, you're also a fool. But anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. You know, I think it's right in the middle, maybe a little bit closer to the top end than the low end because the bad ones are so bad. Like Dark Phoenix is unwatchable. Yeah, I think it's fine, dude. I, I, I think the cast is pretty good. I, I think the weakest might be the main lead, um, just because she's, you know, she's just not established yet. And I think, you know, she'll be good, but out of everyone, I think she might be the weaker one. Blue Hunt is her name. Yeah, Blue Hunt. Or Anna Taylor-Joy, simply because what is her character? What is the point? Is she crazy? Is she just a bully? What exactly are her powers? What the hell happened to her that they kind of gloss over when she was a little kid with these crazy smiley face people? Like, what the fuck is going on there? Yeah, I don't think it's a cast problem with her, really. I think she's giving what she can to this weird role that doesn't have a lot of, like, power to it. And with Blue Hunt, I would say I think she at least works especially well after they sort of start establishing the cute teen lesbian romance with her and Macy Williams of uh, Game of uh-huh. Thrones and stuff. I think they have like a really cute chemistry that works for like, oh, they're they're starting to find out about themselves and it's cute and they're just like kind of like making out and stuff. It's like, it's, it's that's at least I will say very different from most other superhero movies. It's a shame that this kind of got buried for like that admittedly very uh, sort of progressive moment. You know, I've read some reviews or even talked to people that are like, said that they felt like that was totally shoehorned in. And I, I don't agree with that. I, I no. think it's 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 very sort of a natural progression of the two characters. It feels legitimate, like these two mixed up kids that are in this horrible situation together, that sort of come together to find each other, and, and you know they're vulnerable together, and and they have a natural, like you said, it does feel like a real chemistry. It feels like a real sort of relationship. I thought it was really handled really well. It wasn't like exploitive in any way. And it also wasn't handled with kid gloves. It felt like just a natural romance that just happened to be between two girls. Well, especially like a a young sort of like summer romance almost where it's like they met up at camp kind of thing. It feels like one of those where it's just like, they're, they're a bit more sweet and innocent. It's just like them kind of isolated from the outside world, kind of finding each other in this particular place. I thought it was very cute. I think it's more on, Honestly, than a lot of the other characters get where like there's charlie heaton from stranger things um i think is fine in a character who's like i killed my dad in the coal mines it's like oh what else happened uh i killed my dad in the coal mines <laughs> like that's it really for his character or even um henry zaga which i know was like a controversy with him as the the sunspot character that he's kind of like the one sort of minority uh character outside of blue hunt and he's just kind of like relegated to Oh, um, yeah, I, I, I have a pop collar, and my girlfriend died while I was trying to make out with her, and, like, that's about it. And I washed dishes. <laughs> right, basically. Most of his screen time is spent washing dishes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's kind of a boring character. It, it's, it, I get it, and I think the one scene with him in the pool with Anna Taylor-Joy, would ultimately what happens, I thought was really sort of good and tense. Like, it was pretty, it was kind of spoopy. But, uh, yeah, he's he's just kind of a bland guy. Yeah, we kind of referenced this is the, the horror-tinged X-Men movie. And as a horror fan, Adam, how do you feel it kind of blended that with some of the, the superhero stuff and also the teen drama that's going on? I mean, it's it's basically, you know, it's it's Dream Warriors light. Yeah, basically. very much so. Uh, I mean, <laughs> completely. This feels like a movie that would have come out circa, like, 1989 to rip off Dream Warriors. Yeah, completely. But, you know, it's handled well enough. I, I wouldn't call anything 
really horrifying or horror. I'd say there's a lot of tense moments. You know, I, I don't. I wouldn't call it horror. It's more horror tinged, yeah. I would say than like the other X Men movies, and I think they have like some scenes that work on that. Like when we see Anya Taylor Joy's kind of backstory and like the weird smiley face dude. Apparently, the vocal effects being done by Marilyn Manson, which is interesting. I was kind of really. I know that really perplexed me. That was weird uh, that when I saw that in the credits, but it's like, oh shit, that's interesting. Um, but I like that design and kind of it's simplistic, and I think it's pretty good like stylized CG to work for that. Um, or even some of the stuff we get, like, uh, the flashback to Charlie Keaton with, like, his uh, coal mining dad and all that other stuff. But I think it works just because, like, it feels like it's a natural exploration for, like, these kids are, like, stuck in the spooky, haunted, you know, from their own visions, basically, as we later learn. Sort of psychiatric ward, which is apparently also the same psychiatric ward from Shutter Island. Interesting trivia as well. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's a really good location. Uh, to, to use for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're sort of like, oh, we're kind of stuck here. So, like, all of our angst and sort of teen anger kind of come out in the form of these horror situations. I think that would really work for even just a natural horror movie, but the additional thing of it having superpowers of sorts, I, I like how that's used. And even the fact that the X-Men are referenced in this movie, but not really full-blown out. Like, the most explicit reference is they show some of that, like, camera footage from Logan where they were experimenting with, like, X-23 um, at a certain point to reveal it, like, oh, that Danny was, like, involved with that at some point or something like that. Just to say that, like, oh, okay, they're not actually being trained to be X-Men. They're being trained to be weapons for the Essex Corporation, right? Which was supposed to be, like, the big tie-in from the other movies that didn't end up really amounting to much. Yeah, it's Mr. Sinister is Nathaniel Essex. That's his That's his uh, alternate name. Right. Who at one yeah, point it, was either going to be John Hamm or Antonio Banderas, depending on the time of production. Well, and no, nobody it was ended up playing it. It was... No, it was filmed. Right, it ended up being filmed under Antonio Banderas, but never actually shown because you don't get the post-credit scene that was supposed to be here. Oh, see, I heard it was John Hamm. No, John Hamm was the original person announced, and then they said after a while, like, no, we're not doing John Hamm, we're going to do Antonio Banderas, and that's who was filmed, apparently. But then again, who knows what to trust with this movie's production? The same production that's like, hey, we're going to do extensive reshoots, dot, dot, dot. Now we never did it. Well... I don't know. You know, the thing is, it, it's smart that they took away the after credit scene because it's going to go nowhere. Right. Like, why include it? And I like you the know, fact that it's, it's not as explicitly tied to the X-Men movies, despite, like, they only reference, like, yeah, we know who the X-Men are, but, like, who wants to fucking fight villains and shit for that bald dude? Who cares? I like that that's kind of, like, where the movie kind of lays. And it's like, it's in that same universe, but it's distant. It's just a far-off thing. Yeah, right, exactly. It, you know, again, it is not the best... Uh, of the X-Men movies or even of the superhero movies in general. But I give it credit for at least it did try uh, whether it succeeded or not is, you know, up for discussion, but at least it tried to do something new. Like it tried to take the series in a different sort of angle. Uh, successful? Nah, probably not. But it's still though, I, I at least respect it for that. Right, and it's a direction I would have wished the series would have gone to at a certain point, because, like, with the X-Men movies, it was so, like, initially gung-ho on, like, the first trilogy with, like, Brian Singer and Brett Ratner, two great names, who we love saying, and are not awful pieces of shit, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah. fuck them both. Um, but um, after that point, they started kind of doing some spin-offs with, like, X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is obviously terrible because of how much they tried to tie things in with how garbage, like, their origin story was for that um or even like the sort of x-men first class and uh, x-men days of future past i was digging like sort of that 
past era, but they didn't have to keep decade hopping, and that ended up turning into something weird. Then the few spin-offs we got have been like Deadpool, which technically counts as part of this, which is fun, admittingly. Um, but but then like I kind of wish we got more of these movies. Where, like, hey, here's a corner of the X Men franchise you didn't really know that much about. They they had teased doing that with like we're gonna have the Magneto movie and some of these other things that were gonna be small spinoffs. Um, but yeah, this is the only one that I can really think of that came to fruition, honestly, aside from like that and the Wolverine movies. Um, and I, I wish we kind of got more of these, just like kind of smaller stories that are based in a superhero world, but kind of deal with other genres at the same time. Yeah, I completely agree, man. I know, I think at one time there was talks of doing even like a, an Alpha Flight style comedy or X Factor style comedy movie, which would have totally worked. I honestly think that... Well, no, it wouldn't have gone any different. Disney was fucking buying them no matter what. But at, at least we would have gotten a little bit more variety if they would have done these smaller little superhero movies that, like you said, explore different genres. I mean, they did Logan, which is a big movie, but, you know, it was basically a Western. It was it was Shane, for God's sake. Wait, wait, is, is then Logan the secret Western? I wasn't aware. They didn't reference anything about Westerns at all in that movie. No, never. Well, I'm telling you. You know what? Next thing you know, the Wolverine is good, like based on samurai movies, and that's silly. Well, I got news for you, man. I got an in. I got an in with Huey J. And uh, he's one, he broke the news to me. I, I call him Huge J. As like Huge Jock. Because, uh, I mean, whoa. You met him at a Boys but, uh, from Brazil performance and you really loved his work. Yep. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. But, um, you know, I, I agree. If they would have done more of these little standalone sort of things, still have them loosely tied to the X universe. But make it their own. I, I think we'd be talking maybe a little bit different about the future of the X Men series and as a whole. Yeah, or nothing else like the past looking back because it's it's so weird that like the X Men franchise was like the first franchise really in terms of like the superhero modern spiel that we've gotten. Because like right after like Blade was the only real one that was sort of like helping kicking this off because it was even pre Spider Man and it was the one that lasted the longest throughout all the like MCU stuff and DC. It's like the last leg of that particular era of superhero movies from, like, the early parts of the new millennium. And I, I wouldn't have minded, like, it continuing in this particular sphere instead of just, like, doing the weird continuity things where it's like, okay, Professor X in 1970 was able to walk, but then he went back to the wheelchair, and then he kept, like, just doing stupid shit, just like, this was gonna go on forever and long and stupid. Also in the 80s, nobody has aged. It's been 10 years. Even by the 90s, Actually, everyone looks the same they did in 1962. <laughs> exactly. They're all exactly the same. It's so stupid. What a huge fucking mistake that was. And I mean, if nothing else, like just to go back to New Mutants itself, like I said, I think it worked so much better when it was a bit more um, sort of like stayed in like, hey, here are these kids trying to fight against like Alice Braga, who we haven't really mentioned as like the Doctor character. Who's really good yeah, I thought she was a pretty good presence. Um, it's it definitely is yeah. sort of like a you know a, an adult sort of um, authoritative presence to like have around um, to kind of intimidate the kids. And even then, like there's not as much like sort of them being trained to be weapons as much. But I like sort of like trying to get into these kids' psychology a bit further. And like the scene where she interrogates her about like her past with uh, the whole tornado thing and stuff like that. I thought it really worked. Really, it is just when we do have the demon bear show up and it becomes everything about it becomes so much more superhero-y in a way it feels like this is such a studio note with like even like all the characters start doing quips that didn't it doesn't fit this particular story 
and um, the the CG bear doesn't look terrible, but also doesn't look great. And there's so much more of like, hey, all of a sudden Outline Taylor Joy can like teleport around, and she has like her dragon puppet is turned to an actual like Spyro dragon. That is a character from the comics. Yeah, the little dragon lock. He's not a puppet, and he's not ever really with magic, as far as I know. I thought he was always with Kitty Pride, okay. but still, it doesn't matter. The thing is, I, I agree with you. Now, I do think it was absolutely necessary to have the demon bear come back because that's the whole crux of sort of her story as the main character. But then, like, Ralph Braga can do force fields and she's trying to kill them. And like you said, the quips and all of a sudden they, they all know how to control their powers instantly. And, 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 even, and even Blue Hunt is mostly comatose until she does wake up. She's like, wait, I need to calm the bear, which to its credit... I did like the idea that she had to actually calm the bear as opposed to defeat it with like a big superhero battle. That's great. I just wish we didn't proceed that with a big dumb superhero battle that didn't mean anything. <laughs> I agree. It's just, you know, what are you going to do? They, they're trying to give what they think people want, and I understand that. It's just still, the, the last sort of 15, 20 minutes felt like the most studio meddling part. Yeah, it feels like a completely different movie from what we were kind of going for earlier, which is why it's like kind of a bummer that like I I really would defend the movie for the first two thirds of it, then after that point it just kind of becomes everything I didn't want it to be, which is kind of a bummer and everything it didn't really wasn't going for in the first place. Yeah, I agree. Um, but so I, I guess this wouldn't be also a bad time to kind of talk about. We've mentioned sort of the past of the X Men universe. Is there anything that maybe the Marvel? universe as the mcu can kind of take from this movie and kind of supplant into their version of the mutants whenever they bring those in uh if they're gonna do like as far as with the x universe and the mutants go i think exactly what we were talking about just a couple minutes ago would be the way to go do smaller movies do smaller sort of stories not everything has to have world ending sort of implications and consequences at all times like you don't need nukes pointed at every every country you don't need big space aliens you don't need any of that you could do these little small sort of uh films do the more like counterterrorism x-men sort of books that they've done before where it's just these small secluded stories that don't really have grand world repercussions that just they can take care of it or do little character pieces do you know the gambit movie do the you know, whatever they, they're they planning on doing. Make it work, make it smaller. It doesn't have to be giant and huge in order for it to be effective. Um, and I think the X-Men, while the sort of idea of them is a grand and big idea, I mean, it's basically about racism and things like that. But then you can make small contained stories about racism and the sort of things that they experience and, and make it relatable to sort of things that are happening today in society and really make it work, you know, have it relate to the current racism like or anything like that and really sort of hit home and do small poignant stories with it. Um, I don't need to see Avengers, but with the X-Men. No. Yeah. Especially if you really want to delineate sort of them from the other superheroes. That's been my biggest like query about like them doing the x-men at this point just like well you already have superpowered people that are pretty much established and even like don't have any kind of like secret identity to them they're like out in the open celebrities if you maybe make it sort of like it it, it becomes like a, a factor in the marvel universe that like oh these mutants who are act who are people who like suddenly gain these powers on their own as opposed to like hulk who got in an accident or thor who's from a different place entirely or, you know, uh, Captain America being a super soldier serum, whatever. Like, if you make it sort of more about, hey, these people are kind of freaks that lived among us and make it, like, that arbitrary kind of issue 
being like the thing that you know assholes get so like anal about and everyone else is just like what the fuck are you talking about this isn't making sense that feels like a natural human thing unfortunately that would be like hey we're drawing this particular line in the sand and that's what we're gonna like make these mutants about i think that would kind of work to like introduce them into this already established universe and i think you can do that through having a smaller story like this especially one where it's like a bunch of kids are experiencing this and they're kind of put off by some vague shadowy government conspiracy kind of like off to the side i think that could really work for kind of introducing them into the world in particular and it could have been even this movie you know to some extent maybe they cut out some of the like references to the x-men existing i think that might even work for it but um yeah as it stands you know it's not gonna be it's sort of this weird chapter for it to end on um but you know i would not say it's a whimper i would say it's a mild yeah sure yeah, I think. Well, I, yeah, I think that's uh, very, very accurate. Um, you know, and just to go into quick final thoughts here for myself, I, I think it's it's worth a shot, man. If you're a fan of the X universe or like comic book movies, I, I think this is this is a pretty decent one. Like I said, it's not the best. It's not game changing. It's unfortunate too, in the way that maybe a foundation for something greater was being set here, and and we'll never get to see it. So even on a curiosity. Uh, aspect it's worth to watch just for that too yeah nothing else i just hope history is a bit kinder to it i'm not saying it needs to be like oh it's the underrated gem of all the x-men movies like not necessarily it's just like oh we gave it a bad rap at the time it's all right i mean honestly i would say it is the underrated gem uh because all the other ones that are good ones you know using air quotes here are respected and this one is just sort of tossed aside with the later brian singer fucking garbage and you know, X-Men Ordinance, Wolverine, all that, it's compared to those as being just as bad, if not worse, and I, I don't agree with that. I think this one deserves sort of a seat at the table. But that is the end of our discussion of our two movies for this episode, though we have some feedback to read, because we ask you all every Monday over at DEGBpod on Twitter or Facebook, we're like, hey, what are your favorite least favorite movies related to, you know, whatever topic we're doing, in this case, film best and worst films of 2020, and so y'all answered, including some friends of the show, like James Rodriguez, who says, uh, for best, uh, Wolfwalkers, the latest animated offering from uh, Cartoon Saloon, is a fable about wolves, which touches upon colonialism. Um, Possessor, a unique vision and grisly mindbender, uh, think Inception with more penises. Rocks, um, an affecting story about a teenage girl who must look after her little brother when they're abandoned by their mother, when that makes you cry. Uh, Death of a Vlogger, a found footage ghostly chiller about viral fame, which is fucked up. Um, another round, humor and heartbreaking go hand in hand as men in their 40s test being con- constantly drunk. And then worst alien addiction, um, aliens come to Earth and get addicted to smoking poo. That's the film for 97 minutes. Uh, Aqualash, a film building up a grisly setup. Uh, shame we're stuck with such awful characters until then. And blind, blind woman in a house with a masked killer having to survive an awful script. Uh, Ryan Quarterman says, best shit. I'm thinking of ending things. The Assistant, Sound of Metal, Possessor, and Spree. Worst shit, Veronica, The Murder of Nicole Brown Simpson, Artemis Fowl, and Doolittle. Best and worst movie, question mark, Impractical Jokers, the movie. Scott Johnson says, uh, best 2020 appears to be the year of documentary with four of them making my top five of the year so far, including Dick Johnson is Dead, David Burns' American Utopia, Disclosure, and Crip Camp. 
Um, and then worse, Artemis Fowl and Doolittle are bad films that I'm still recovering from, but I gotta raise a stink over Scoob, which is one of the most blatant universe-building films I've seen in recent memory that has an utter contempt for the source material. And also Hillbilly Elegy, one of the most blatant, poorly-made Oscar films that was as phony as the source material it was built on. Um, and Christian Alvarez says, Best of 2020 movies that I've seen this year would have to be Birds of Prey, the last movie I saw in the theater, and Bill and Ted Face the Music, which was a wonderful addition to a fun, exciting movie trilogy. I love it. Uh, worst um, had to be Bloodshot, a movie aiming to start a franchise with a completely miscast lead actor, utilizing a recycled plot from movies like Hardcore Henry, and so poorly edited this movie is just another example of how not to start a franchise. But on the bright side of things, Double Edge Double Bill has been a very big comfort providing hours of entertainment throughout this tough year of 2020. Thanks, Tom Snadden, for making such a fun show, and I can't wait to hear what you guys do in 2021. I'm glad to wear a Double Edge Double Bill t-shirt throughout the next year. Appreciate that so much, especially Christian. Thank you for that. Thanks, buddy. Uh, now that you said that. <laughs> yeah, you have, a, you have a hot take about one of his favorite movies of the year. Well, I have a hot take about two of the movies he mentioned. Oh, really. okay. I don't think Bloodshot is that bad. I mean, it's bad, but it's not the worst. It, it, it was fine. It's a silly, stupid little action movie. You know, they might have wanted to build a franchise around it. I don't think there's any question that most people, if not all, knew this isn't going to be a franchise, like before it even came out. That's more Vin Diesel fluster, kind of trying like, hey, we're going to make this a big thing. It's going to be there with Triple X and Fast and Furious. I'm going to make my media empire. <laughs> I'm still going to make the last Witch Hunter sequel. Watch. <laughs> like, oh, good, please don't. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is. And I, uh, for the hot take, Bill and Ted Face the Music was one of my least favorite films I saw this year. A, I don't think I had the nostalgia feels for it like I thought I did. I remember really liking the first one. Maybe I've seen the second one twice. So it wasn't, the nostalgia factor really wasn't there for me. And it looks super cheap. It looks kind of bland. It's just, it didn't work for me at all. Nothing about that movie really worked, except for um, the daughter, Samara Weaving. And I forgive me, I don't know the other uh, actor's name, but they were they were quite good. Other than that, nah, I'm good. Well, um, don't send that hate letter to me. Send it to at uh, Adam underscore. <laughs> take that shit. I don't give a fuck. That movie was booty, son. <laughs> uh, by the way, that was Bridget Lundy Payne was the uh, actor, Billy Logan. Um, yeah, who played uh, the, the character. Yeah, I thought they were quite good. Um, but but yeah, I, I I think that movie's fun. I think it's fine. I didn't really, I would say it's my least favorite of that trilogy necessarily, but I think it's cute. I think it it wasn't just like a nostalgia thing that kind of hooked me. I, I like what they kind of went for in, in terms of like it's having, you know, one side kind of have these different historical figures they were kind of bringing up while Bill and Ted were kind of trying to steal it from themselves. That was a cute plot line. I liked seeing Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, especially playing the different versions of themselves that they meet. I thought it was pretty fun overall. Um, I think it also kind of came at a particular time during the pandemic where like not, we were still kind of hoping maybe we might see things in theaters and that was really starting to die at that point. Bill and Ted kind of became an optimistic beacon for people, which is why a lot of people really loved it and I don't blame anybody for thinking that. I, I think it's uh, great to have that attachment. Adam thinks you're terrible pieces of shit. So fuck him, right? <laughs> maybe not terrible pieces of shit. Pieces of shit, sure. <laughs> Possessor we got to talk about as well. Yes, right, Possessor. Yeah, that's one of my favorites as well. But you really loved it as well, Adam. Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite of the year. Um, I, I really thoroughly dug it. Um, I think it's just, it's super good, super gory, super, it's kind of scurry. 
there was a lot of penises. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm all in there. But, uh, no, I, I just thought it was just a really fucking really, really cool, heady sci-fi movie. Yeah, um, I, I'll save my thoughts because I did talk about Elsewhere, as I'll plug later in the show. Um, but some of the things that were mentioned I do agree with, like Wolf Walkers, I do agree. It's one of my favorites I love. It's from the same people, uh, the Cartoon Saloon, who did Secret of Kells and stuff like that, but the animation style, I love the look of it. I think it works really well in this particular case. Um, Sound of Metal, I do agree with. That's the one where it's a Rizamid plays a drummer who starts losing his hearing, and it's a really effective drama with actually a lot of deaf people in the cast, and it's it's a really heartbreaking little movie I really dug. The Nomadland, which a lot of people haven't seen yet, um, I was able to see like a virtual screener of it, and I did a review on my blog. I really uh, loved that one in particular. I think Frances McDormand, rumors of her maybe getting a third Oscar, I think are quite valid for that movie. I think she's pretty incredible in that one. Um, Freaky was one I've mentioned on here on the show. I think is a lot of fun, especially if you're a horror fan. I like the Friday the 13th stuff. I think that one is does such an incredible job. Um, someone mentioned American Utopia. I'll say that Spike Lee has made two of my favorite movies of the year with, like, Defy Bloods, which was great. And I would be curious to hear from somebody seeing it now, given the role Chadwick Boseman has as sort of, like, a uh-huh. ghostly character that kind of inspires everybody else. I still haven't yet, so maybe that's one I'll, I'll check out. For sure. But then American Utopia is the David Byrne concert movie, which I just watched actually right before the show, and that's a phenomenal concert movie. It's on HBO Max right now. I would definitely recommend anybody watch that. If you're a fan of, like, old, um, you know, Talking head stuff, but want to hear some of David Byrne's newer stuff, it's a... All the music's so great, obviously, but even the way Spike Lee shoots, it's incredible. Ryan mentioned I'm thinking of ending things, and I will say I did really find that movie intriguing and it would be one of my sort of favorites of the year but uh just go into that knowing it's a very sort of surreal experimental movie charlie kaufman wrote and directed who did like eternal sunshine um and some other things and if you've never seen the movies he's directed um they are incredibly like (laughs) movies that don't appeal to a wide audience whatsoever (laughs) sure it's uh you know and i also want to throw out we already covered it but portrait of a lady on fire that technically is a movie from last year. Yeah, but I don't care. I'm counting it. And uh, <laughs> same with Invisible Man. Uh, I right. really did enjoy Invisible Man. I think that gets top marks this year as well. So I just want to throw those two out there. And the, one of the worst ones I saw this year, I, honestly, because I did watch it, and I forgot I watched it because that shows how good it is, is that fucking Melissa McCarthy um, super intelligence. Oh, yeah, on HBO Max. I heard that was pretty bad. Oh. It's not. It's not pretty bad. It's very bad. <laughs> it, it's it's bad. I've heard it's like the really bad version of her, basically, right? Uh, for the most part, yeah. Except the computer's like gonna kill everybody, unless she could show the computer, you know, how good humankind is, or blah blah blah. It, it's just really dumb. Yeah. Um. In terms of bad stuff, I'll say a lot of people liked stuff like The Relic or The Devil all the time when they came out. I really disliked both of those. I was not a fan of them, um, despite like the pretty committed casts in both of those. I didn't like them. Um, and I know you're a bigger fan of The Gentleman than I am, but I really did not enjoy that whatsoever. It feels... You, you see how far behind the times Guy Ritchie is really as a writer-director. I was really not a fan. Scoob was mentioned. I've said stuff on here before about that, but I really did not dig that one whatsoever. That feels like the most cynical sort of movie from this year. But I'll just say, in terms of if you want a fun bad movie from this year... And this is when I try to sell Adam on for the show. Um, I think it's such a fascinating movie. It's called um, Assassin 33 AD, which I believe is still on Amazon Prime right now. And basically the premise is a bunch of scientists get hired to this uh, 
tech billionaire's company where he's trying to develop like basically this the scientific matter to travel through time and the way he this guy is planning to use it is he's like this this guy whose parents were killed like he is, comes from middle eastern country and his parents were killed for not believing in christianity so his decision to like sort of get revenge is to create time travel and use time travel to kill jesus in like 33 ad like he's going to kill Jesus and our heroes have to travel to 33 AD and try and stop Jesus from getting murdered. And it's insane. Yeah, I'm not a believer, but that's pretty blasphemous. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's so respectful. Like the point where they, they meet one of the guys meets Jesus and he talks about, Oh man, Jesus, no, you shouldn't go down there. You're going to get killed like that movie. Oh God. And then Jesus ends up responding, which is like, Hey man, you know I I totally get it. I've seen that movie, but uh, I'll be back. He he references Terminator. Oh, Jesus oh, references Terminator. <laughs> it's obviously a very offensive movie, but also it's just kind of like a you have to see it to believe it kind of movie. Like this is a movie so low budget. Their biggest star they could get was Heidi Montag of The Hills, who appears in a flashback early in the movie and then dies. Oh, she doesn't play Jesus? Oh, I wish. <laughs> so that's an interesting, at least, like, puzzlingly bad movie to watch, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it, for sure. Um, and then we had some feedback in reference to, this was in reference to our Dog Movies episode from Bill L., who has sent this via our email, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. Um, this is a truncated version of his message where he said, uh, Sorry for the untimely loss of your dog, Thomas. Gratified you were together for so long. Uh, I miss my animals whenever they have gone. I loved the massive pizza token scheme in your episode. I thought that made me smile a lot. Also, I love Birds of Prey, and I saw that uh, you were going to be doing that on your next show. I'm looking forward to that. And thank you, Bill. I appreciate the, uh, the kind words. Yes, that's very sweet of you, Bill. Um, but thank you all for sending that feedback. We also want to thank some other people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Emily Scarter for the art she provided for our show. And thanks, of course, to our supporters on Patreon, patreon.com slash pod. all you edgelords, where uh, over there you get to vote in polls for, like, you know, movies that we get to cover or topics we do overall for the show. And uh, you can also listen to bonus podcasts we do, like our trivia game episode, which came out in between between um, the time our previous episode came out and now. You can uh, listen to it. And also, Adam and I uh, recorded an impromptu bonus episode where we talked about two uh, recently released streaming movies with uh, Soul and Wonder Woman 1984, two other 2020 movies you can hear us uh, talk about in a solid 45-minute episode full of spoilers and stuff uh, that we might you know do more of in the future as other streaming service movies come out that we can both see at the same time. Yeah, probably not. I'm done. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> I got that dollar. What does it matter? Yeah, what's it matter? I'm going to get that money anyways. <laughs> Fuck them. Uh, well, if you want to find more of our antics, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. That's where we ask you for the you know, um, things about like, Hey, what are your favorite things related to whatever topic we do every week? And you can email us feedback, even double edge, double bill at gmail.com. Like bill did, uh, from the feedback section. And, uh, you know, even though it's uh, past the holiday season and we're getting into the new year, um, still, you know, it's never a bad time to go ahead and buy a coffee cup or t-shirt or even a mask to keep yourself safe before you get the vaccine on the 
ESO T Public store. There'll be a link in the description for that, but over on T Public, you can even just search for the ESO store and you can find uh, all of our merch that has uh, our little logo on it. It's uh, quite cool. Like I said, I have a coffee cup and a mask with it, and it's uh, been keeping me safe and caffeinated. Well, look at you uh, supporting our show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big Money Thomas. Never put your own money in the show. Um, but you can find me, uh, putting my thoughts out there on the internet over on, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as, uh, at NotTheWho'sTommy. That's where I'll put all my musings, especially about movies and stuff. And I also do writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com for reviews like the Wonder Woman 1984, uh, non-spoiler review I did that you can read right now. And also I'll be putting up, like I mentioned, that top 20 list probably at some point in January, um, where you can read all my favorite movies from the year and where you're likely able to stream them. And also, speaking of Possessor, as we did earlier, um, I did a fuller talk about it over on the Talk Film Society podcast, where they've been doing, you know, the best films of 2020 and having guests come on. And I was on there with a previous guest, Marcelo Pico, um, who runs that particular show, talking about Possessor, and it was a fun time, talking about a very fun, family-friendly film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's one to sit down with the kids. Clearly, yes. Especially the uncut version. (laughs) Yes, for sure. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam, that's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. Uh, you know, shoot me a message, ask me to share your stuff, whatever you want to do. Share my stuff, which is just be the show stuff. That'd be appreciated. And, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, find me on there if you want to if you want to have a rap sesh. Especially message Adam if you're like, hey, why don't you, you want to get this gift card? Go ahead and like sign it now with your social security number. Yeah, for sure. I'll do it. <laughs> fishing. I'm going fishing for that card. Yep. <laughs> um, and for more of our uh, fun banter, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO Network, why not listen to all the other great shows on there, like the one we played NAD for in the middle? Or you can also dig into our archives for about 70 or so episodes we did before we joined ESO over on our Podbean main feed. And if nothing else, if you can't buy our merch or support us on Patreon, we understand. We would just appreciate if you could rate, review, or just share the show around. Because it helps us out to get some more visibility out there in the ether. Yeah. Like I said, just share it. It's no big deal. Stop acting like it's hard. It's so simple and Adam could do it. He's done it many times. All the time. That's all I do. So do it. Yes, and now, Adam, what we have to do is say goodbye to 2020, put it in our rearview mirror, hope that 2021 is a much better year, and we're going to start it off, I think, pretty right, because we're finally doing an episode about a man who has followed us our entire show's history, if you think about it, Adam, because on our very first episode, our first bad movie ever was Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, and who was the lead of Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, Adam? Mr. Nicholas Cage. Yes, Nicolas Cage, who was celebrating a birthday early in January, so we decided, let's finally do it. An episode we've had in the back pocket for a while, uh, as an idea, let us do a Nicolas Cage episode. We're doing it, we're going full hog with it, and uh, usually at the end of the show, Adam and I would have two uh, movies, either two good movies, two bad movies, depending on who has the quality for that week, and uh, we would pick a number between one and ten for the numbers we've assigned each other's movies, and we've ended up getting the good and bad feature. But uh, you patrons over at patreon.com slash pod, you edgelords out there, uh, get to vote for certain movies we do, including our bad Nicolas Cage choice from my two choices, um, which were Primal, 
which recently came out where he plays the guy who has the exotic animals that he's hunting and he's trapped on a boat. Um, or the ultimate win, which was the That's So Raven style vehicle for Nicolas Cage. Next. Yeah. Yep. Our next bad movie. Next. Yeah. Great. I've seen it once. I thought that was enough. Now I got to rewatch that hog shit. Well, let's see what hog shit you've picked for the good movies, Adam. For you assigned each of those number two, one and ten. So I'm going to pick number seven. All right. I just want to preface this with this was actually really hard to do because there are a lot of Nicolas Cage movies that I actually do like mm-hmm. when I got into his filmography. It was kind of difficult to do, believe it or not. But at number eight, you got the Barry Manilow written Mandy. <gasps> oh, Mandy. Yes. Yeah, but Mandy. Yeah, Mandy. Okay. Talk about Crazy Cage. Very excited to talk about Mandy. He's a crazy one. And then at number one, uh, I had Matchstick Men, which I actually kind of like. The Ridley Scott movie. Yeah, I remember liking that when I saw it. It's been ages since I saw it. But okay, yeah, those are two uh, interesting choices for sure. But Mandy, yeah. Mandy and Next. Next, it's Mandy. Oh boy, that's going to be the tagline. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Uh, but until uh, next time, everybody, we want to wish you all a happy and safe New Year's. And uh, let's put 2020 off to the side and chill in the pool for 2021. Oh my God, let's let please be better. Oh, fuck. Please be better. Good night. Bye. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.